It seems kind of hopeless right now, but you're going to figure this out. This is pretty debilitating. I'm able to turn my pain into purpose. There are people out in the world that do understand what you're going through. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and I am here today with my partner, Andy. Andy, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks. Good to be here. Yes, this is (laughs) another in our ongoing series tying all the way back to our very first episode of My Health Journey. Yeah. And this is the big one. (laughs) (laughs) This is the thing that I've been wanting to say since the very first day of this podcast, wanting to say for most of my life. Uh, which is that I have a diagnosis for my mystery illness. I've been diagnosed with mast cell activation syndrome. Uh, We've been talking about this on and off for most of this year, most of 2023, that this is the potential diagnosis we've been looking into. And I am now moving into uh, saying that I'm diagnosed. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, so today wanted to catch all of the podcast listeners up about what's been happening behind the scenes here. Um, This actually happened close to six weeks ago, I Mm -hmm. think, at the point that we're recording this. I've kind of held on to this information for a little while. We did reveal it to the Patreon community in our bonus episodes. And of course, extra special thank you to our Patreon community helping to support this podcast. Mm -hmm. And also extra special thanks to our Patreon producers, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia, who are going above and beyond, and I thank in every single episode because their contribution is massive. Yes. Uh, but I, I've held, held on to this information for a little while for a couple reasons, mostly because I had some other things happening in life, and I wanted to gather as much information as possible before taking a week out of our regularly scheduled programming, talking to people about their health journeys on this podcast. And that is, of course, uh, waiting to get my results back for my small fiber neuropathy test and also having my hearing for disability. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this is all just such massive stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, things that we've been talking about since day one. Yeah. Getting a diagnosis, finding out if there's more than one diagnosis. Uh, And then this battle to get on disability because I haven't been working for over six years. Mm. Although I have made massive, massive, massive progress. And uh, in in this last year, since going on the MCAS, you know, mast cell activation syndrome Mm -hmm. protocol, I've gotten so much better that we're now starting to look to the future where I may actually be able to go back to work. Not there yet. You know, some things have happened recently uh, to show me that I'm not quite there yet. But... Uh, but that is my goal. That is my goal. But in the meantime, I, I'm almost 40 years old and I haven't worked for almost the entirety of my thirties. So getting on disability, getting back pay is something that's massively, massively important, you know, coming from life from, from a, uh, from a place of being more self-reliant than I am now because of disability benefits is really what I'm looking for. Okay. So let's talk about this diagnosis. Yeah. But, but, but before we do. Yes. I feel like I just have to do this. Jesse, what is your major pain? <laughs> My major pain is mast cell activation syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I didn't even ask her to do that. That's incredible. Well, it's the first time you've had like a real answer to be, or at least you've always had an answer, but an answer that you can call by name. Right. You know? Well, in the first episode... It was undiagnosed illness. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, and that's so funny. That's yeah. so funny you asked that. Actually, the very <laughs> first episode, I don't think I've ever told this story before, but um, Andy interviewed me in the very first episode and we had to go back and loop in her asking me, what is your major pain? Oh, that's right. Because it was crucially important to me that that question be asked in every yeah. episode. Yeah. Uh, that's just yeah. part of the format of the show. And I, you know, just wanted to make sure it was there. So that is so amazing <laughs> that you just asked me that. Um, yeah. Okay. So let's let's back up and go over the history of this diagnosis. So uh, the first sign that we had of this was when I started uh, seeing my new doctor, who I've been calling my diagnostician. And before the first appointment, she ran dozens and dozens of tests. I think like 80 something tests. Yeah. And it was like 14 or 16 vials of blood. Something massive. It was wild, yeah. And the one thing that was way off in those initial tests was she ran a Northwest allergy panel, because, you know, we live in the Pacific Northwest, mm -hmm. and some of my blood markers for allergens were really high, including one of which, which was just like way off the charts. Yeah. And this is the first time in my whole long-ass history of chronic illness with, you know, I, I'm not going to recount the whole history. That would be... Go, you can go listen to the past podcast for that because we've taken several episodes of the show to talk about this. Totally. Um, but yeah, long, long, long history of being ill on and off my whole life. Mm -hmm. uh, and this huge flare-up that lasted for six years in my 30s that was by far the worst and longest I'd ever been in. Our whole relationship. Our whole relationship, mm -hmm. yeah. Since day one, I've been off yeah. work because of my flare-up. I actually went off work uh, right before we met. Yeah, like a couple, couple months. couple months, yeah. Uh, like four or five months tops. Mm -hmm. So this doctor runs these tests, discovers that one of my, uh, one of those like blood allergen markers, like blood antibodies, mm -hmm. something for allergens was way, way, way high. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've been like waiting for years to see anything off like that, but that still didn't really make sense to us at the time. Yeah. So I started doing some thinking about what I've learned from the podcast you know, I've learned about mast cell activation syndrome from the podcast, mm -hmm. but at first I didn't think that that fit. You know, I, I was thinking of histamine intolerance uh, from an ep amazing episode we did about that early on in the show. Mm. Um, and I, I just started doing some digging about what like allergy related things can cause neurological symptoms. Mm -hmm. And I kept seeing histamine intolerance. So I brought that to my doctor and she said, I don't know, I have no idea, but let's put you on a low histamine diet and see what happens. I'm going to put in a referral for an allergist who I think is like the right guy for you. Mm -hmm. And because it's months away while we're waiting for that, let's put you on the low histamine diet. Mm -hmm. So I go on the low histamine diet and I start to improve. This is, you know, probably middle to early uh, 2022, probably middle 2022. Mm -hmm. um, and then I wait for months, finally get an appointment with an allergist, go to see him. And he tells me pretty quickly, he says, I do not think this is histamine intolerance. Right. Uh, the symptoms you're describing, the fact that I've had issues with mold exposure since I was a very small kid, you know, yeah. my first problems were in second grade, being in a moldy classroom. Mm -hmm. He said that that's more consistent with uh, idiopathic mast cell activation syndrome. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've learned so much about this disease now. So let's, what <laughs> is this thing? What is mast cell activation syndrome? Um, essentially, it is a dysfunction of the white blood cells in your body. So... When you get a bug bite and your it's you know your skin swells up around that bug bite, that is your mast cells, um, M A S T, not not mass like Mass Effect, <laughs> mast like on a ship. Uh, your your mast cells release what's called mediators into your bloodstream, which are essentially chemicals 
to com- combat allergens. Mm-hmm. So when you get a bug bite and it swells up, that's your mast cells sending all sorts of stuff to that spot to, uh, you know, to deal with the allergen. I forgot to say, you know, I'm not a doctor, <laughs> not a medical <laughs> professional. Nothing on this podcast is intended as medical advice. This is just my journey this week that we're talking right. about. I always like to say that in every episode just to, you know, remind people. Yes, <laughs> it's important yeah, information. Totally. Um, so the idea with mast cell activation syndrome is that your mast cells are basically overreacting to, to stimuli constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically you walk into a room, you smell dust, you smell mold, you know, like mold is my trigger mm-hmm. and your mast cells start pumping out chemicals in your bloodstream. Or what I didn't know, the big piece of information is uh, everything you eat has histamine in it. And if you have a lot of histamine in your diet and you have mast cell activation syndrome, that will trigger a mast cell release, mm. which I think is called degranulation, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, and basically, the, the chemicals will flood your body. So that, that was my doctor's, uh, my allergist's theory right away, yeah. was that it could be mast cell activation syndrome. And his thought was, let's do a bunch of tests. There's a few tests that we can run. Uh, there's a 24-hour urine collection looking for some of those mediators that are released by your mast cells. There is a blood test for tryptase, which is one of the mediators as well. But he told me right away, he said, these tests are not very reliable. Mm -hmm. So if the tests are positive, you have mast cell activation syndrome. If they're negative, you still might have mast cell activation syndrome. The other thing that we're going to do is put you on some medications and see how you react. Mm -hmm. So over the course of many months, uh, we went through the process of doing these tests, all of which were normal. So that didn't really give us any information. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then, you know, more more normal tests in my lifelong history of normal tests. Mm -hmm. You know, normal test after normal test after normal test. And it's so disheartening when you're looking for an answer for a mystery illness to be told that your test results come back normal. And I've just experienced it so many times, even with this process in which I now have a diagnosis, with this exact disease, my test still came back normal. And this is something that I think is really important to get out there, this information, because a lot of doctors don't know this. I just just lucked out with this allergist. So lucky. He just led me through this process. Just super matter of fact, you know, very obviously uh, cared about how I was doing, yeah. but very much led with like logic and reason and science totally. and information. And totally. uh, because I'm at the University of Washington Medical Center, this was at the East Side Allergy Specialty Clinic. My doctor has since left this clinic, but that's where I was going. Um, so he just started adding in different mast cell activation syndrome medications. Mm-hmm. And every one that we added in, I started to improve. Yeah. The very first one was chromalin sodium. And this actually caused, when I first started it, I was on uh, one ampule per day because mm-hmm. it's like a liquid that's in little ampules, like plastic things that you open up and squeeze out and mix with water and then swallow. And he started me on one per day mm-hmm. and he said, I want to get you up to eight per day. So it's going to be two of these four times a day, but start with one and work your way up slowly. And, you know, longtime podcast listeners will know that I spent several years needing a wheelchair mm-hmm. to get around. Mm-hmm. And when I started the chromalin sodium, I got so much worse mm-hmm. on one dose per day, mm-hmm. one out of eight. Yeah. I got so much worse and I was very concerned at first. Yeah. And gosh, I'm forgetting this already. Yeah. And I was like yeah. full-time wheelchair mm-hmm. for, for several weeks when this happened. Yeah. Uh, Cause I've always been ambulatory. I've always been, you know, in and out depending on how I'm doing. Right. And all this time, I'm also eating the low histamine diet and sort of like learning how to do that diet 
so many details that were so hard to memorize and it just took a really long time. And that's like a whole other topic, just how to eat a low histamine diet. I've been thinking about like making a TikTok about it or something. We'll see. Uh, or if people have questions, please let me know. I'm happy to talk about this more. Mm -hmm. So I, I get on the one ampule per day. I take a huge dip in how I'm doing. I start to get a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And then I up to two ampules per day, take a big dip, yep. start to get a little bit better. And that took me months. Yeah, It took me months to get up to eight ampules per day. And something my doctor told me is that these medications are fairly benign. So right. they're, they're fairly safe. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you don't have mast cell activation syndrome, it shouldn't really do much of anything. Right. Because uh, this is a mast cell stabilizer. So it's basically trying to stop these mast cells, which are white blood cells that everybody in the world has. Mm -hmm. Every single person on earth has mast cells. Mm-hmm. But if yours are faulty, like mine, and are pumping out chemicals, this should hopefully stop that or slow that down. Right. And that's just one piece of the puzzle because, you know, for someone like me whose mast cells are going completely out of control, uh, it's a full-time job all day, every day to keep them in check. Yeah. And, you know, these are things that I have learned over, this, uh, over the course of 2023. And we're at the end of August right now. Uh, and I was diagnosed in, uh, like, shortly into... July. Yep. So, so yeah, I get up to the full eight ampules mm -hmm. and then I start to really improve. Yeah. And I think this happened right before we went to Disneyland at the end of 2022, mm -hmm. which I needed the wheelchair for. Yes. Because I, I was barely walking more than, you know, a couple of blocks at oh, the yeah. time. And the idea of going to Disneyland on foot was just completely impossible. Totally. But, but you were still already a little improved. Yes. Because even just being able to say, yes, I'm going to Disneyland, and you did full days while you we were yeah. there, even though it was in the chair, it was still, that's a lot of energy to expend. Yeah. And we were shocked that I was yeah. able to do it yeah. at all. Yeah. And looking back to that now, it's it's utterly shocking how much progress I've made I know. since then. I know. I mean, this time Less last year, year this yeah. time last year, I was, you know, almost like full-time unable to do much of anything. Yes. Yeah. My body was not functioning, muscle spasms, brain fog, <sighs> yeah. constant pain. Yeah. Uh, wow, 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 wow. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird because I've heard you explain this to loved ones in pieces and also on the on the bonus podcast for yeah. the Patreon supporters, but it's still it still feels really surreal and it's still I still don't quite have perspective on it yet. You yeah, know? it's tough. As you're I mean, saying that, I'm like, oh my gosh, I guess that's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because we're looking at like eight months of yeah of me being improved, right? Because it really was like right after we got back from Disneyland, right, is when I really started to improve. Well, and our lives have changed so much in such a short amount of time when you really think about it. Yeah, but. I guess part of why I haven't been able to contextualize this is that you have throughout your journey, and we won't get into the full story of it, but you've had spurts of improvement where it's been like, oh, a couple months yeah, tops of like, oh, maybe we found the answer and we maybe we found this thing that works and you're taking these iron injections or you're trying this new supplementation or you're whatever it is, or, or maybe it's this thing or, and then- it wasn't that. And then da, 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 da. so it's like the pattern of like, no, actually, this is the main piece of the puzzle and it's working and 
it's different and our lives are changing and it's yeah. real, still not fully digesting that. Yeah, I, I know. As a permanent me, thing, you know? Me too. And well, that's the thing. Like, with chronic illness, there is no permanent. No, no, you know? no. Totally. And not to be like, and now you're better. But right. just, just to it's say. Not, it's like, not that way. I mean, I, well, we'll get there. We have yeah, a lot to yeah, cover. Yeah, 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 yeah. We have a lot to cover. Um, but yeah, once we got back from Disneyland at the end of December, I rested up for a few days. And then after that, that was the last time I used my wheelchair for anything significant. Yeah. I've used the wheelchair twice, I believe, mm -hmm. since January of 2023. And we're now at the end of August. And I was like <laughs> unable to go do anything other than like walk around my own apartment. Right. Uh, without the wheelchair. Right. And in that time, we moved into this house, yeah. which has a wheelchair lift and right. is completely wheelchair accessible. I mean, we, yeah. you know... We moved into this house because it is wheelchair accessible. It was like right. the greatest find in the universe to find a wheelchair accessible home. Right. And then before we actually moved in, <laughs> I had this like breakthrough with my health and stopped uh, using the wheelchair as much. I yeah. still, I obviously, I still have it. And, you know, there was yeah. a day a couple, like a month, a couple months ago, um, there was a day where I really wanted to get outside and my legs were not carrying me anywhere. So right. I took the wheelchair out and went for yeah. a roll. Yeah. And it was shocking to me. It's like, I haven't done this in this neighborhood where we've lived since, what, April? April 1st. Yeah. Yeah, we bought the house in August. And at that point, I mean, you came to see the house in your, your wheelchair. Yeah. You, you know, you really wanted to test out, like, how accessible is this? And then by April 1st, when we moved in, you weren't hardly using it at all. You yeah. know, it's just wild. Yeah, like actually wheeling through our neighborhood was a shock to me. I discovered that there were no ramps yeah, right, right. on the curbs. I was like, well, this is a real problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you see the world through a totally different lens yeah. from a wheelchair. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, you know, I got on the, the chromalin sodium up to the full, you know, eight doses per day. Mm -hmm. And there's several other medications. There's Montilocast. That was the last one we ad added in. Uh, which my doctor said blocks a different inflammatory receptor than the other uh, medications I'm on. Another one is Ketodafen, which you actually can't get in the United States. I'm, you know, he had he showed me how to get it from Canada Drugs Online. He gave me a prescription. I ordered it from Canada. It's produced in India, and it takes like a month to get to me every time I have to reorder it. Yeah, uh, and it's a mast cell stabilizer and an H1 blocker. Mm -hmm. Part of treating mast cell activation syndrome is you have to treat. Um, with mast cell stabilizers and two different types of antihistamines, H1 and H2 blocker antihistamines. Mm -hmm. the, the primary line of defense for H1 antihistamines is Allegra, fexofenadine. Mm -hmm. That's sort of considered to be like the gold standard for, for H1 antihistamines. And the easiest H2 antihistamine to get is Pepsid, mm. uh, famotidine, mm -hmm. which is kind of shocking. So, uh, I added in that as well. I I actually d started doing some research, and I you know I I've we've done an episode of this podcast about mast cell activation syndrome. Yeah, and with with Pauline and I was like, this doesn't sound like my disease. Yeah, <laughs> and that was I I released that up. I recorded that episode, uh, and then went to my allergist who told me he thought I had it, and then had it, thought I had it, <laughs> and then released the episode. So yeah. by the time that episode came out, I actually knew that. That was on the table for my yeah. diagnosis. Yeah. But when I recorded it with Pauline, you know, that had always been in the back of my mind since I first heard the words yeah. from Morgan very early on in the podcast. Mm. Uh, Morgan talked about this disease mm. 
and I just thought about mast cell activation syndrome, a, a, a sort of like a uh, weird allergy response, you know? Mm -hmm. And I started thinking about what would happen to me when I walk into a moldy room yeah. of like feeling like I had taken psychedelic drugs yeah. and like, collapsing and twitching. Yeah. I'm like, wow, that, that sounds like something that could cause that, even though I had no idea what it was. Yeah. Well, and you know who fits the way more typical mast cell picture is your mom. I mean, she doesn't sure. have it diagnosed, but your mom has serious allergy yeah. challenges. Yeah, the the more typical presentation is like yeah. hives and itching and flushing. Runny nose, sneezing. Yeah, and potentially uh, anaphylaxis. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's a very serious disease. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with a really wide ranging symptom picture. Totally. And so something I started to discuss with my... Uh, doctor after I got on this full protocol, mm -hmm. which also includes some things that I researched and added in. This is what I was going to say is I added in um, turmeric as an anti-inflammatory. Mm -hmm. And I, I like the bioactive turmeric. This is not an ad. This is what I take uh, from natural <laughs> factors. Uh, it's like a lower dose that is formulated in some way to be more readily bioavailable, mm -hmm. according to the box. But I've tried a bunch of turmerics, and this is the one that I actually feel the biggest difference with. Mm -hmm. um, and then quercetin, which I also get the bioactive quercetin from Natural Factors. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's what that company is called. I'm not sure. Um, and that, that's supposed to be like a sort of a naturopathic mm -hmm. uh, mast cell stabilizer. Yeah. So I added in those, and then my uh, diagnostician doctor recommended that I take something called NAC, N-A-C, Mm -hmm. like N-acetylclostocytamine. I don't know what it is. It's <laughs> some amino acid or something like that mm -hmm. uh, that is the precursor to something else. And basically, it, she said that it could help with my energy levels. Um, you know, before we got this diagnostic track, she was just trying to help with my symptoms. Yeah. And that's something she recommended that I tried that really seemed to help. Mm -hmm. And I've tried to go off of it and gotten worse, so I mm -hmm. stuck with it. Um, and then... Uh, Let's see, the quercetin. Oh, and then the other one I'm forgetting is DAO enzyme, D-A-O, mm -hmm. which is an enzyme that breaks down histamine. That's mm -hmm. something that I researched and added into my own uh, regimen early on yeah. that also seemed to really help. Yeah. Uh, and, and I also take uh, now a beta blocker, mm -hmm. metoprolol, which lowers my heart rate. Right. Because my ambient heart rate is pretty high. Right. Um, we thought for a while that I might have uh, POTS, Mm -hmm. But it ended up, you know, I, I had to go off cannabis because my heart rate was so high. Right. Um, cannabis is a risk factor for raising your heart rate. So I went off of that and then went on the metoprolol. Yeah. And my heart rate is now down to normal levels. Yeah. And, and much more consistent. And for those of you keeping track, yes, this is a lot of pills yeah. <laughs> and a lot of medication. And Jesse has these little like daily pill things that it's three times a day. And each one of those pods are like full up, plus the ampules, which are like these plastic freaking udders that he has to squeeze into his mouth every day before every meal. And it's a lot of discipline and it's a lot of work, but yeah. it has made such an incredible difference. And as you're talking, I'm also just realizing like, I don't know, when I first met you and I, I mean, well, when I first met you, you were misdiagnosed with Lyme disease. But once we realized that you were about to re-enter a diagnostic journey where you had to figure out what was going on and that we didn't have the answer, I imagined a journey. And I think most people who are maybe not as familiar with 
these types of experiences where you go, you search, you search, you search, you see these different specialists. Then finally, a test result comes back. It's positive. You're given a medication, and that's the that's the thing, right? Yeah. And it's like, no, it took forever, and it wasn't a straight line, and there was no test result, really, that ultimately— and you're still playing around with dosages and medications and what works and what helps and what doesn't. Like, just to encourage people that, like, it it's not a straight line. And if you feel like you're running into a wall over and over again, or, you know, maybe you had a tiny piece of breadcrumb that you're like, okay, that kind of feels like it's in the right direction, but that's not an answer. You know, like, keep going, keep yeah. going. It's so hard to do that. Take breaks when you need, but keep searching. Because if you had told me at the beginning of this, you would have found this through an allergy clinic. You know what I mean? Like it just, I mean, I know the mold thing and the history with that, but the, it's just, it. it's, and it's a rare disease and you have a non-average presentation. Right. So those combinations really sets you up for a needle in the haystack feeling, you know? Yeah, 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 absolutely. That's why I'm so lucky with this doctor. Because, you know, I, yeah. I started doing research and, and trying things out as he was putting me on all these uh, prescription medications. Yeah. So I, I put myself on, you know, Dow enzyme, turmeric, quercetin. Quercetin yeah. I, I first heard of from this podcast. Mm -hmm. There's been so many things that I've learned from this podcast that directly led me towards yeah. this diagnosis. I mean, it, it, yeah. it, it is like a one for one. Like, I don't know if I would have gotten here without what I've learned from the podcast. Yeah. And all the different people that I've talked to about, yeah. you know, uh, this disease or similar diseases or similar diagnoses, tips and tricks to try for speaking yeah. with doctors. But anyway, so yeah, so my doctor gets me on all this medication. I add in a few things. And it was so funny that, you know, I, I read about Pepsid as being like an right. H2 blocker. I think Pauline might have mentioned that either in the podcast episode she did or on TikTok because she makes great content about MCAS. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I was starting to put things in and then go to the doctor's appointment and... Uh, he'd say, well, I have something new I want you to try this time, and it's Pepsid. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I just started that. He's like, oh, okay, great. And how is it working? I'm like, I think it's helping. Yeah. <laughs> and like, in what universe does Pepsid help with neurological symptoms? Right. You know, right. like that. that's when it starts to feel like, wow, we're really onto something here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the same thing happened with quercetin. I said, do you have any recommendations for naturopathic Mm -hmm. uh, remedies for this. And he said, well, there's one thing that is, there's a little bit of research. There's nothing conclusive yet, but it might be worth a try. And it's called quercetin. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, great. I'm taking that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and during this time, you know, I used to take, when I first started with my diagnostician, who is actually just a family practice yeah. doctor who's just interested in cases like mine right. and, and was yeah. willing to dive deep and yeah. really huge help there, totally. sent me on the right path. Um, but she had prescribed for me a uh, a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug for daily use, right. an NSAID. Uh, at first, I took meloxicam, and then we switched to peroxicam. I think it's used for arthritis or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and we were trying that for my chronic pain, mm -hmm. and we discovered actually uh, it was sort of an accident. I think I've talked about this on the show a couple times, but I had hurt my back, mm -hmm. and I went on Advil, right? And then That's I started right. taking it for you know, my five or six days. Yeah. Cause I, I just stood up one day and my tweaked my back and it was so painful. I, I like slipped something out of alignment. I had to go to a chiropractor and get it back into place. And my back was spasming for like a week. Mm -hmm. So I was on um, Advil the whole time, just ibuprofen. 
And then my, my brain started to clear a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that really threw me for a loop because I've tried uh, NSAIDs, Tylenol. I've tried all the over-the-counter medications so many times, never any relief. Yeah. But it wasn't until I was on it for about a week that I started to notice a change in my brain fog and my energy level. And then I started to say, hey, there might be something inflammatory happening in my body. Mm-hmm. So she put me on meloxicam. And then, you know, so that we could get to peroxicam because there's a whole insurance thing. Yeah. And that helped for a while. But then once I started the, uh, the mast cell stabilizing stuff, the whole MCAS protocol, mm-hmm. things started to shift really dramatically, yeah. especially after, you know, in, in January and beyond mm-hmm. when I was on most of the medication. Right. And then we added in, uh, you know, ketodafen and then we added in Montelicast. Um, and, and then things just are like, wow, I'm starting to stabilize my pain levels going down. I went off of the NSAID mm. and didn't miss it at all. Uh, and that's when I started to realize, I think like what I'm doing is targeting the process in my body that is causing chronic pain. Right, right. And that that was just like, you know, this mind-blowing <laughs> thing to think about because I have been misdiagnosed with fibromyalgia, conversion disorder, Lyme disease. Uh, uh, there's There's others in there that I'm forgetting. Oh, so many... So many. Yeah. Well, or not even misdiagnosed, but potential diagnosis that didn't pan out. or Right. Those were the big three misdiagnoses. Yes. But what we now know is that... Oh, an extreme mold allergy. But that was part of it. That's always been part of it. Right, right, right. Right, it is. But that initially it was like, that's what's happening. You're just in the 1% of people who... Right. Yeah. That was initially diagnosed as just like top 1% mold sensitive people on the planet. Yeah. so, yeah, so we started targeting the actual thing because what we now think is happening is that uh, all these chemicals being released in my body all day, every day because of, not like because of my diet, essentially. Yeah, yeah. You know, I had, I've been living a mold-free life for a long time because <laughs> back in my 20s, I had a horrible flare-up that kept me sick for a year. Yeah. We discovered that I was living in a moldy house. I left the house. I started to improve. I never got all the way better. Yeah. Uh, that was like the first time that I was like there's something that's not going away that's wrong yeah and it never went away yeah and then in my 30s you know i i completely avoided mold at all costs but then i flared up for no reason Mm -hmm. and looking back now you know i had made some adjustments to my diet to make it healthier by adding in more stuff like you know kimchi lots Mm -hmm. of balsamic vinegar i was making Mm -hmm. salads all the time Mm -hmm. uh sauerkraut kombucha Mm mm-hmm and, you know, maybe drinking. Coffee, green tea, every Coffee, day. green tea. All of these things are very high histamine. Yeah. So now looking back, I can actually trace uh, the potential cause of this flare-up could have been that I histamine my body to the point of toxicity. Well, and just over 30, however many years of living with this untreated, the right. buildup of histamine in your system and never being able to clear it to a point that was manageable for your body. Right. I mean, that's just also accumulation over time. Right, right. You know, with no treatment. Right. And so this is where the symptoms start to become sort of unexpected for MCAS. Right. Because it becomes more like a chemical poisoning. Right. And the neurological symptoms were like the big thing that I was experiencing. Yeah. And we're now still examining this possibility that I might have something called small fiber neuropathy, which is a form of dysautonomia caused by like repetitive nerve damage. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, jumping forward in the story to last Friday, <laughs> you know, I, I've talked about this before where I had a skin biopsy done where they 
took a punch biopsy on five different places in my skin Mm -hmm. to look at it under a microscope to see if they could see nerve damage Mm -hmm. as a sign of small fiber neuropathy. Mm -hmm. And I was waiting to record this podcast to hopefully have an answer for that. And bizarrely, we don't have an answer. (laughs) Even though we did have our follow-up appointment. We did have the appointment. And, you know, I just, lifetime of dealing with chronic illness, Mm -hmm. you just expect curveballs like this. Yeah. But we went in and, you know, this is a specialized test. They did it at UW and they had to mail it off to Texas to some lab, Mm -hmm. I believe. And they did five biopsies. And I still, I have these like, these circular scars, you know, on five different points on my body. Some of which are like very, very visible and maybe for a long time. Um, and they only got one of the five spots back and yeah. they don't know why. Yeah. So four out of the five of these biopsies are missing. Yeah. Which is, I, I don't really want to dwell on it because it makes me extremely mad. <laughs> yeah, it's really upsetting. Really upsetting. There's like four pieces of my body that are missing. <laughs> yeah. That are crucial diagnostically. Yeah. So, uh, the one piece we got back was normal, yeah. but it was the one that I was least thinking would be abnormal based mm-hmm. off of the symptom location mm-hmm. of where my pain and tingly and all those feelings are. Like yeah. the feeling of when someone touches you and it's like extremely painful, that's a small fiber neuropathy thing. Yeah. Um, and like a lot of the hair has fallen out of my legs. And then also with small fiber neuropathy, it, it can cause like uh, issues with nerve communication. Mm-hmm. and it can cause your legs to not work yeah. properly. Yeah. And this is the one where like I did some research and I found an article of someone dis- a writer describing living with this disease and I was like that sounds like me. The way he's describing his legs just turning off yeah. and not being able to use them. Yeah. That sounds like me. Yeah. So I asked my allergist about this and he said that there he is seeing a sort of anecdotal correlation between MCAS and small fiber neuropathy. Mm. And I started thinking about that, and that makes a lot of sense to me, that if you have chemicals constantly being released by your own body that is poisoning you, yeah, and uh, all these like chemicals running through your bloodstream all the time, right. that it would make sense that it would cause damage over time. Yeah. And I asked uh, the neurologist I saw last Friday, who's you know very apologetic that he doesn't have my results, <laughs> I asked him about this correlation as well, and he said that they are now doing studies, and it is... Mm. They're starting to see that there may be, yeah. uh, like, like uh, MCAS could yeah. be causing small fiber neuropathy. Yeah, and he also said a very similar thing to what your allergist right. said, which is that j- even if all of the test spots, if <laughs> please let them come back, but yeah. if they all come back normal, that doesn't necessarily rule out that you have small fiber neuropathy. Right. And that actually the sample that they take it really only tests that one cluster of nerves that they take the sample around. Yeah. So you could have it somewhere else, anywhere on your body in this, even in even just inches from where they they tested. And right. and so, you know, it's not 100% conclusive. Or it could be in your whole body. It's just hasn't done enough damage to be visible. Correct. Yet. Yeah. So... But the good news is that, I mean, the one of the main ways to treat small fiber neuropathy is to stop whatever is causing the pattern of damage. That's the best way. Yeah. So yeah. that, you're, check, you know? <laughs> right. So even if I'm positive for that, which I will let you know when I hopefully find out, yeah. I'm not redoing this test. Sure. Yeah. Oh, it, no. This was like one of the, you know, weirder tests that I've done. Uh-huh. 
And I did not love having little punches of my skin taken out. No, and it was also right before this family vacation we take every summer. To Tahoe. And Jesse, another thing that he's dealt with has some been some ear stuff, and he had this tube put in his ear. For years, he had it in there, and he couldn't go in the water without wearing all this special gear and whatever. And finally, this was the first summer that he could go to Tahoe and really enjoy the water. And they didn't tell him that for two weeks after having the procedure done, he couldn't go in the water. <laughs> yeah, like I I went to Tahoe late because I yeah. stayed in Seattle to have this biopsy right. done. Right. And she told me as I was sitting there, as I'm packed and ready to go in the morning to Tahoe, right. that I couldn't go swimming for two weeks. <laughs> right, exactly. And I was about to leave for, te- for a 10-day trip. It was trip. a real bummer. No, it was only five days, actually. That I you you were I was you were there a little longer days, yeah, yeah. Um, so that was extremely frustrating. Yeah. So the the whole small fiber neuropathy testing thing has just been so frustrating, right? And the idea that like you know samples of my body could be taken and then lost right. is like deeply disturbing, very disturbing. Yeah, but we'll see. I'm still holding out hope. You know, knock on wood, as Andy <laughs> just did. Um, still holding out hope. But yeah. basically, uh, the idea that I might have that. Mm-hmm. We may never be able to prove that, right? but that at least is an explanation as to why MCAS could be causing my legs to stop working. Right. Because that is unusual. Yeah. And But apparently, you know, the neurological symptoms, like the random muscle jerks, mm-hmm. the brain fog, a lot of what I've experienced is within the realm of, you know, of MCAS. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I, I don't, I, I haven't seen examples or proof of anyone else needing a wheelchair because of MCAS. Mm-hmm. But that could be, you know, like sort of a downstream effect of the way that MCAS was causing small fiber neuropathy was causing my legs to stop working. Maybe. I mean, and also think about all of the things that had to converge to lead you here. There could also be many people who are ambulatory wheelchair users that have it and they don't know. Absolutely. You know, like this could also be just a completely unfully examined category of people. And this whole conversation just really makes me think about how hard it is to navigate the medical system when you don't have a diagnosis and how hard it is to find something that really helps. And there are these sort of, they, you know, call of like diagnosis of exclusion. exclusion. And not to say that fibromyalgia or what's it they call conversion disorder now? Uh, uh, functional neurological disorder. Functional neurological disorder. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. That those things aren't real and that, Maybe for some people, that is a true diagnosis. But there is a large percentage, I think, or at least a significant percentage of people that are thrown into those diagnostic categories because they just don't have a better answer. Yeah. And they don't have a way to find it. And so the doctors yeah. just say, this is what you have. and. Jesse, in fact, has been diagnosed with both of those things. And if he had just said, okay, well, I guess that's what it is. And even as it gets worse, and even as it just looks like it's not it, like, well, that's just what I have. And if he hadn't kept pushing, you would have never found these answers and you would never have improved in this way. Yeah. You know, and, and it's really hard. And, you know, I'm sure extremely daunting especially as someone maybe who has one of those diagnoses. It's like, if you have that diagnosis and you're on whatever protocol they tell you and whatever therapies they tell you to do it, and it's helping and you're in a good place with it, awesome. Like, 
don't question it. It's okay. But like, if you have that diagnosis and there's something that's like, this isn't right, or this isn't improving, or my life isn't where I want it to be, like, don't give up on looking. Yeah, this is such a complicated thing. And like you said, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia for years before I ever met you. I went on the protocol and right. it helped. Initially it did, yeah. Yeah, and, until things just spiraled out of control a few years later. Yeah. But that's the thing is like the protocol for fibromyalgia, there's a lot of it that overlaps with MCAS. 100%. And then uh, conversion disorder or functional neurological disorder, you know, the theory behind that disease is that some sort of trauma mm-hmm. has altered the way that your brain processes um, stimuli or mm-hmm. stress mm-hmm. and sort of converts it into physical symptoms. Yeah. And that there are ways through, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy to address that. Right. And I was misdiagnosed with that at one point. Mm -hmm. I know a few other people that have been diagnosed with that disease. And the thing about that one in particular, I'm not saying that I don't think it's real. Right. I am saying that I think that it is a diagnostic dead end where no one is going to keep trying to test you for other things once you've been diagnosed with that. Right. So... I went to the cognitive behavioral therapist who said, you don't have this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she said, I, there's nothing in what you're telling me that lines up with this disease. Yeah. So you need to go back to the doctor. Yeah. But the doctor had nothing for me. So I stopped yeah. going to doctors for years. Yeah. I went to a naturopath who, who broke my brain. <laughs> That's another story. Yeah. Um, so, That's another story. Never mind. Anyway. Right. So I, I, yeah. That's an Into the Woods reference for I, the nerds out there. I got there. it and I liked it. Um, so I got lucky that I, at least that wasn't the dead end that it could have been for me. Yeah. Because that, for me, this is my story today. That's not my answer. That's right. You know, we finally yeah. got to a place where uh, we found medication that directly targeted everything. Yeah. The chronic pain, the neurological symptoms, the brain fog, the energy levels. Mm -hmm. And it was a long, slow process of getting on all these medications and a long, slow process of improvement over the course of a year. Yeah. Most of a year. Well, also that's, I mean, truly it's it's symbolic of like how wild it has yeah. been and and it's hard to keep track and it, it time does a weird thing when you're on a journey like this. Yeah, well part of getting the diagnosis was going to Tahoe and my body working. Right. You right. know, like we went on this ropes course. I've been oh going to Tahoe. Oh my god, that's right. Yeah. You know, since we met. Yeah. And I usually go and, you know, just getting there exhausts mm-hmm. me and I lie down in bed for several days yep. before anyone sees me, the rest yeah. of the family. Yeah. I'll come out, maybe swim a little bit, go back and lie yeah. down for the rest of the day. Made a ton of progress on my Stardew Valley farm. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, got my second cell and dead cells. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's usually what Tahoe is for me. But this year, I was out and about with everyone and actually like, went to this ropes course and was like swinging through the trees uh, and I'm like, what is happening? My body is working, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this is after like six months of uh, being on the full regiment. Right. Uh, which really, you know, I really look at January as the turning point right after Disneyland, yeah. which yep. was the end of December. Yep. Uh, and then I slowly adding in more, more and more medications. Right. You know, uh, getting on the full protocol. And then I get back from Tahoe. And I'm feeling like this has to be it, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, I, I wouldn't be seeing this type of progress unless this was it. Right. So, then I had an appointment with my allergist in the beginning of July. Mm-hmm. And I talked to him about that. And I said, you know, I know that, uh, you know, he told me early on that 
part of the diagnostic criteria is finding some of those mediators in your blood work or right. in your urine. Right. And we, we didn't get that for me. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, wanting to kind of keep retesting to see if we could do it. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, it really isn't going to be that helpful. Right. Because these tests are really unreliable. Yeah. And, and it's not necessarily going to be helpful to keep doing them again. Mm-hmm. They, because you kind of have to test within, like the triptase test, you have to test within 20 minutes of a flare-up. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it will not be detectable. Right. So, it's just, it, it's really hard to get a positive test result. Yeah. But what matters more is how you're reacting to the medication. Definitely. So that's what I knew the whole time. And then after like six months, I, the, like the fourth or fifth time I saw him, mm-hmm. maybe even the sixth, I think I saw him like once a month starting probably like September, October of last year. Uh, so after six months of just doing amazing mm-hmm. and better and better all the time, and I had started to integrate some like physical activity in a way that I haven't been able to in as long as I've known Andy. Yeah. Like biking all the time and doing right. some jogging and weightlifting and, yeah. um, you know, trying to find ways to do that that wouldn't cause a flare up. Because one of the things that can trigger a mast cell flare up is exercise. Mm-hmm. Something else that can trigger a mast cell flare up is lack of exercise. Mm. So there is this like sweet spot in the middle that I've been searching for. Yeah. And I started to kind of get there, like learning what my body needed mm-hmm. and starting to feel a little bit stable. Mm-hmm. And I talked to him about that and I said, this is feeling real to me. Yeah. You know, what? W- I would like to get a diagnosis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> are you handing those out today? Yeah. And he said, you know, we are treating you as if you have this disease. Right. And the actual diagnosis is sort of secondary. You know, I have a lot of patients where uh, we just continue to treat them forever as if they have this disease, even though we never get that right. third piece of evidence. Right. The first being like, you know, symptoms, multi-organ symptoms. Right. The second is... Uh, Treatment is helping. Yes. And the third is some sort of proof on the testing. Right. And we do have that one blood allergen test right. that's really high, but that's right. not like technically part of the the testing. Right. And that's another thing like where the the small fiber neuropathy is not a technical part of the MCAS testing, but is another piece of evidence that would lean towards that diagnosis. Sure. Um but but the but because the testing is so unreliable, like getting that third piece is so difficult. Right. That a lot of patients just don't get it and just right. kind of uh, just you just assume you have the disease and keep treating for it. Right. And I I kind of got the sense that it was a little bit of a sticking point of like actually putting a pin on the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just really need it. You know, yeah. I really needed a doctor to say, I, I am willing to say that you have this disease. So what I told him is like, I, I'm, I'm applying for disability. I need to be able to interface with my other doctors. Yeah. And it's. And and just for my own personal well-being, yeah, you know, I need to be able to say whether or not I have this disease. Yeah, given everything that has happened yeah. and the improvement that I have experienced, right, and the fact that every single one of these medications that is targeted for MCAS has helped, every single one. Yeah, some of them maybe like five, ten percent. Yeah, but when I'm at like twenty percent functionality and I'm up to like, you know, at least sixty. Right. That's so much. So much. Right. And like I'm having days that are seventy. Maybe even days that are like 80. Yeah. You know, individual days. Yeah. I feel like that's enough proof for me. Are you comfortable, doctor, with me telling other doctors that you have diagnosed me with this disease? Yeah. As, and telling, you know, disability, telling Social Security that you've diagnosed me with this disease. Because yeah. that's going to make my life easier. Yeah. And he said yes. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. That's the diagnosis. I yeah. kind of had to participate in it. Right. Um, and kind of say, like, this feels real to me. 
Yeah. Are you willing to put your name behind this? Right. So that when I tell other doctors, when I talk to social security, I will have a diagnosis. And yeah. he said, yes. Yeah. And that, so I kind of had to word it in a way to like get what I needed out of it. Sure. But, it, um, but, oh, but th- there's nothing you could have worded to make him do, you know what no. I mean? Like, it's, it's not like yeah. I need this diagnosis. So this doctor's going to give it to me. It's like, there was months of work and evidence that right. allowed him to say yes to that. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. But, but he may not know because there's no test result. For example, right. he may not know that actually having him say that to you would make a huge difference in your life. Right. And so he may not say it on his own. So for you to set him up to be able to even just say that is is huge. And that that's a really good tool for people to know is like a doctor's not going to give you a diagnosis they can't stand behind, but sometimes you may have to kind of ask for the wording. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's that was a new one for me. Like I've never yeah. been in this position. Yeah. You know, I've been diagnosed with a couple of things. Right. But it was always like, are you sure? Well, I guess I'll try the the protocol and if it helps then it, then I'll say sure. Yeah. This was the first time where I'm like, the protocol works. Right. Right. The protocol works. Yeah. My body is working better than it has since this flare up started. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I'm having days that I feel almost normal. Yeah. And it's still up and down a lot. And yeah. and that leads me to actually want to ask you about your disability hearing yes. and your journey with that. Because you're in a really tricky part yes. of how well, that applies. Before you know? we get to that, I have one more thing to mention. Yeah. Which is that right after getting this diagnosis, we went on your dad's 75th birthday trip to Hawaii. Right. This is something I haven't told anyone about yet on the podcast because <laughs> I was like so excited to talk about this. Right. And we are still going to do our next bonus episode, which, you know, we're almost at the end of the month. We're a little late this month because we spent part of the month in Hawaii. Yeah. And we'll um, go into maybe We're going to go into detail. a lot more detail, yeah. talk all about the trip. But the there's two things that I want to talk about on this trip. The first is that the first two days, you know, we stayed in this amazing place on Oahu. And the first two days of the trip, I felt incredible. Yeah. We got up in the morning and you're like, let's go jog on the beach. And I'm like, absolutely, let's go jog on the beach. And like right behind where we're staying, there's like private beach access. <laughs> yeah. I and said, let's go jog on the beach. Oh my God. It was so hard. It, it was, but it but was incredible. Were, yeah, I felt great. incredible. I'm jogging on the beach. I was in a wheelchair last year. Yeah. And now I'm jogging on the beach in Oahu. <laughs> we got in the ocean and went body surfing. I taught you how to boogie board. Yeah, you and did. Don't forget that I grew up in San Diego and I haven't been in the ocean. Yeah. In maybe a decade. I, a really long time. And that's like my childhood is in the ocean. And I'm just like, I feel great. Yeah. My pain level is so low to be like non-perceptible. Yeah. And I just feel like resilient and strong. And am I going to be able to go back to work? Mm-hmm. And then on day three, <laughs> I got COVID. And I spent- I mean- I spent the entire rest of the 10-day trip <sighs> locked away in a room, yep. sweating through all my clothes and all my sheets yes. while freezing. Oh. And I didn't have the worst infection, but um, it really knocked me down. It sucked. As far as my MCAS progress is concerned. Right. Like my body, the stability that I was gaining completely got thrown out of whack. Mm-hmm. And it's been terrifying. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, today is the first day that I have not taken a nap. 
<laughs> I have decided that I'm just going to, that COVID is going to just be a little blip. Yep. And we're just going to get through it and get right back on track. Yep. But and there's no reason for us to not believe that. Right, right. I have seen no evidence in your recovery. And, you know, you literally had your first negative test today. Right. So and it's I like, tested positive for like 12 days. Yes. And for people who are not dealing with chronic health issues, recovering from COVID takes a while. Takes right. a long time to regain your energy levels and feel back to quote unquote normal. Right. But I'm back to a place where like I really can't exercise mm-hmm. yet. Yeah. Um, and I just don't know how long it's gonna take to get back. Yeah. I, it took, you know, like seven, eight months to get to a place where I felt like, oh my God, I might be able to get into like an exercise routine. Mm-hmm. And the potentiality of going back to work is on the table. Mm-hmm. Um and and then to have it like immediately say, oh, well, not anymore because you have COVID. Now you have to deal with this. And yeah. maybe this is going to flare up your MCAS right. and make your body unstable. Um, and then we got home and I had my disability hearing. Right. And it was a very hard process for mm-hmm. me um, because, you know, just talking to my lawyer. And uh, by the way, if you need to apply for disability, most disability lawyers are free. Yeah. And they get paid if you get disability. Yeah. So they just fight for you and try to get you disability so that they can get paid. Mm-hmm. And I talked to my lawyer, John, and uh, he said my file, my medical file was, he said over 1,900 pages. <laughs> and then the judge during the hearing said it was over 1,700. So I'm not sure exactly, but well, it's if- almost 2,000 pages of medical history. And... It's uh, this huge mess, this huge convoluted mess yeah. of not knowing what the heck is going on with this guy, this guy being me. <laughs> um, and, you know, in talking to the disability lawyer, it's like, you know, he's like, it's great that you're doing better. And we can totally talk about that in your hearing. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing that you have a diagnosis. And we should definitely talk about that, too. Yeah. And I did have, like, you know... A doctor signed note saying, hey, we finally got it. Here's, yeah. the, here's the diagnosis. Yeah. yeah, And here's how it affects his ability to work. Right. And the big thing is, is uh, unreliability. Yeah. And that I <sighs> don't know when my body's going to work. Absolutely. And in order to get my body to work, it is this tightrope yeah. where I kind of have to like get up slowly, take meds, yeah. eat, wait for the meds to kick in before I try to exert myself. Because right. if I exert myself before that, my, my MCAS will flare up. Right. Uh, and it's like, don't work too hard. Make sure to get some fresh air. Make sure to get a little bit of light exercise. Uh-huh. Otherwise, my MCAS will flare up. Get enough sleep. Right. Don't overstress. I mean, it really I can't is. wait too long between meals. No. I'm so fragile. Yeah, you are. And, and so strong all at once. Well, the thing is, is like, when I look at it from the point of view of the progress, mm-hmm. I feel like a superhero. Yeah. And I feel so strong and so positive and like the future is so bright. Right. When I look at it from the point of view of the actual reality of the day-to-day of how this thing is affecting me, yeah. it's really upsetting. Yeah, yeah. That that it is it's it's making me so unreliable that like no one would hire me. Yeah. Because I don't know what days I can show up to work. Right. I I need to take extra breaks. I need to lie down mm-hmm. when I need to lie down. Mm-hmm. When the lawyer is telling me about like the disability law, he's saying like if you can't show up to work more than one day uh, a week, or I think it might have even been one day a month because of an ongoing health issue, mm-hmm. um, you, you could still qualify for disability. Mm-hmm. Employers will not give you 
extra breaks throughout the day. Right. You know, this is all, all the legality of, of disability yeah. stuff that I've just been learning about, you yeah. know, and I, I went through the hearing yeah. and they, they, you know, they ask, they have a vocational expert there yeah. and they ask questions of that person and say like, uh, uh, how often do employers allow people to take extra breaks throughout the day? And the answer is never, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's like you yeah. take your assigned breaks and that's it. Right. Right. When I was doing really well before we left, mm-hmm. I was starting to think like, wow, I might be reliable for three days a week. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's just like the biggest victory ever. All right. And and then I go to this disability hearing where it's like, wow, that's not enough. Yeah. Like that doesn't qualify you to get hired by anyone. Right. <laughs> but it's still mental gymnastics, right? Because you want to stay positive and you right. want to look towards a big, bright future. And okay, yeah, three days a week in when you look at it that way, it's like, oh yeah, no, that doesn't make you hireable. But when you look at it that a few months ago, you couldn't be reliable any days a week. Right. You know, like that. I had a few hours a yeah, day, yeah, maybe. Exactly. Maybe. And that's the the time, the, that's how I made the podcast, is yeah. that I would yeah. harness those couple of good hours I'd have a day, mm-hmm. and I would do it on my own time, mm-hmm. on my own schedule, when my body would allow it. Right. And I'd try to be enough ahead of the work that I'd get yeah. it out on time. Yeah. And sometimes you'd still miss weeks, and so, yeah. you know, like, but that'd be okay. There was no... Boss it, it, telling you you built can't in, do that. Yeah. Built into the show that sometimes right. it might not come out. Right. And I've been way more consistent than I expected I'd be able to yeah. be. Yeah. And these are all things that we talked about at the hearing. Yeah. You know, how I've spent my time. And I talked about the podcast and yeah. the incredible support from Patreon. Mm-hmm. The judge wanted to know how many patrons do you have? How much do you make per month? Yeah. And the amount that I make is nowhere near what would disqualify me for uh, disability. Mm-hmm. So going through that process of like legally stripping me down yeah. to what are you capable of Yeah. in this moment where I had been feeling like I'm capable of so much more. Yeah. And then I got knocked back by COVID. Yeah. And then I got a real douse of cold water in the face yeah. of like this legal proceeding. Yeah. I went to like a pretty intense depression for a few days. Yeah. Yeah. And I couldn't even really be there for you fully because you had COVID. <laughs> so oh yeah. Like, I was know, like we locked in my room. Literally isolating tonight's the first night we're going to be able to like stay in the same room. And yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's been hard. Yeah. But you know, this is, this is the journey. It is like, this is what chronic illness is. Yeah. There's no easy answers. It is slow and arduous work. Yeah. And just, just getting better takes so much of of your body and your mind and your soul. Yeah. And I because of what happened with this hearing and and the sadness that I felt after kind of being forced to look at my own limitations mm-hmm. in a new light, knowing that that is like I'm still so much better. Yeah. But I'm still like not at a place where I'm hireable. Yeah. Although like I you know, my hope is to get on disability and to start working part-time. Mm-hmm. And to kind of work up to uh uh, you know, you can you can work you can make up to fourteen hundred dollars a month, mm-hmm. fourteen seventy five for for me in Washington State. I don't know if that's the same other places, mm-hmm. but if I make less than that, I if I get disability, I can still make up to fourteen seventy five before having it. You know, before losing disability. Yeah, my goal is to get off of disability. I yes. don't know if I'm going to get it. Yeah, but my goal, if I get it, would be to get off of it and go back to work. Like that's yeah. all. My goal this whole time has been I want to be stable enough to go back to work. Right, and I I my dream is to build this podcast into something that can support me right so that maybe maybe this is what gets me off disability and i can just keep on making this show yeah i talked about that with the judge as well it's like i'm trying to build something that could potentially have a 
financial future, WoW is something that is sustaining me spiritually and emotionally, like through this whole health journey that's been horrific, you know? Yeah. And that goal is still the same, but helping out with your production last month. Yeah. Um, show, like that was like, I can't believe I could do that. You did a great job. And it showed me how much I miss being accountable to other people and yeah. being able to do something out of the house. Yeah. And I'm just like, man, I'm so close. To, yeah. I'm so close. This is a sign that I'm so close. I could be within a month or two of being ready. And COVID is like really knocked it back. Mm -hmm. And I could have been wrong about that to begin with. But I, I don't know what the future holds. But that is still yeah. what I'm fighting towards. Yeah. And I, I'm recognizing that I, I, can't, I can't push too hard. Right. The worst thing I can do is go to back to work before I'm ready. And Absolutely. then flare myself up and then spend another year trying to get out of it. And that's also something we were talking about with you getting COVID is like a lot of people that you've talked to that have had long COVID, something that has aggravated it is trying to push too hard too fast, right? you know, out of recovering from COVID. And that's just a micro version of the same lesson. It's like anything, anything that knocks you back or, or gives your body extra things to process and deal with, you get this jolt of like, oh my God, what if I can never do this again? Or what if I can't get back to the way I was? Or And then you feel this panic and you want to push to get there. And you just think, okay, I just got to work really hard and I'll get there. And it's like, you actually have to listen to your body and it's a slow process to get back there. And you have to be hopeful and you have to be diligent, but you can't go too hard and you can't right. ignore what your body's telling you. So it's a really challenging thing to balance and figure out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my lawyer told me, he said, you know, the judge and I, we've read your whole file, wow. almost 2,000 pages. We are the two most familiar people on the planet with your story. Crazy. Uh, with your health journey. Wild. Um, which, yeah, is so interesting. And then I, there is also this piece of me that still feels like I have to defend my own illness and defend its reality. And that's part of this hearing is, you know, the judge kind of questioning what, what is going on with you. You know, I see Lyme disease on your file. I see fibromyalgia, but I don't see any evidence or proof of any of it. Mm-hmm. And now I see mast cell activation syndrome, but where's the diagnostic testing for that? Mm -hmm. And then I explained to him what I explained here on the podcast today about the testing is inaccurate and it's a clinical diagnosis mm -hmm. based off of my doctor's uh, viewing what happened to my body when he started treating me for it, which was like astounding yeah, and sort of unequivocally points in this direction. Right. So I am still waiting for the result. My lawyer says that he thinks I'm going to win. He said that based off of how things went in the, in the actual hearing mm. and the things that were talked about at the end, the judge has to give you three options for jobs that you can work mm -hmm. if he decides not to award you disability. Hmm. And the three options that were listed, he said they have to be in um, enough numbers in the country to be a reasonable option. Hmm. And two of them were things that, were like outdated and had like a thousand jobs available in the whole country. Wow. Um, was this based on your first denial or? I'm not sure how, what this was based on. Yeah. And one of them was like uh, repairing documents for a library. 
And I'm like, what is that? And, and the lawyer said, that's about microfiche. What? Yeah. Like the old, the, the, the things you would put on a projector. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And oh, completely wild. outdated technology. Like th- those jobs don't exist. No. So he was saying that because of that, he thinks that we're going to win. Amazing. Because he thinks that there is not, according to the uh, vocational counselor who was there, mm-hmm. he's saying that they're, they're not offering you a substantial option. Mm-hmm. They're offering you things that don't exist. Yeah. And they even talked about it. He's like, well, these jobs that you're saying, like those don't necessarily exist in the real world. Mm-hmm. You know, they kind of, the judge kind of said that. Mm. So he's saying that it's looking really positive that That's I might exciting. get disability. And I don't think that that would have been possible without the diagnosis. The other thing I learned is that, you know, we talked about this a while back, how I had a uh, evaluation with a, a nurse who works for disability. And I went in, it was one of the worst days I've ever had. I went in in my wheelchair. Yeah. And I was spasming out of control. I couldn't stand. Yeah, it you was know, really bad. She like did the reflex test on my leg and my leg didn't respond. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was denied. Yeah. For disability after that. Yeah. That was my second denial. And I was shocked. Yeah. But what I found out is that that person said that I couldn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Which I've never heard. Yeah. So way back when, you know, before any of this improvement started. Right. I, I was honest about my improvement. I don't know if that's going to affect my chances. I'm much more concerned about back pay than ongoing disability pay. Sure. Because I really want to get back to work. Yeah. But yeah. office, obviously, you know, I don't know how long that's going to take. It could take six months. It mm-hmm. could take another year. Mm-hmm. I do think it's in my future. I think I'm going to probably start small, yeah. try to find something that's two or three days a week yep. that will probably still not um, disqualify me from disability right. if I get it. Right. And, and just work from there and just, you know, keep trying, keep making content, hopefully keep making this podcast. Like, I really love doing this. I want to keep doing it. But yeah, but now is a a great time to sign up on Patreon to support this <laughs> podcast. Like I really need to, you know, have financial support to put the time into it because it, when I go back to work, you know, whatever I'm capable of doing, I don't want this podcast to have to stop yeah, to go back to work. Definitely. So getting the Patreon to a place where it is justifying the time that it takes is really, really important because this is so important to me and I just really want to keep doing it. Yeah. And I'm also applying for grants uh, and looking into other marketing things and just trying to figure out how do people make successful podcasts? Because yeah. we, I, this podcast is, by my metrics, extremely successful. Yeah. You know, like we have a passionate listener base who is telling me that they are impacted by the show and, uh, and it's helping them get through their chronic illnesses and disabilities and helping people feel less alone. And that's, that's success to me. Definitely. Um, and I just want to, just keep doing it. Um, totally agreed. And in large part because this show has massively helped me get to where I am today, which is that I have a diagnosis yeah. for my mystery illness. Yeah. Uh, it's a continuing journey. Yep. But I'm in the best place I've been with this journey. Yeah. Uh, minus COVID. Yeah. 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 It's all right. Blip. And it, you've mentioned that it feels like you're dating a different person. <laughs> yes. It does. I, uh, does. I mean, that's an extreme sentence. I don't, it's not totally. I mean, you are always this person. There's things that are so consistent and true. I guess it, I feel like I'm learning new things about you and I'm seeing you in situations I've never seen you in. And I'm, 
as you're uncovering within yourself things that have been dormant for a long time, like I'm experiencing that with you and it's really exciting. And I think that I'm changing too, like in reaction to it. And, you know, we're doing a lot of it together. And I think that that's really cool. Um, Well, I mean, you know, Obviously, I listen to the podcast, and a question you often ask people that I kind of was wanting to ask you towards the end of this episode is like, if you could talk to the you that was kind of in the darkest part of this past six years that was like spending every day on the couch and didn't have any answers and continually running up against walls and didn't know where the end of this road would lead not that there's an end, but where you would be now, like, what would you say to that? Yeah. You. Wow. You're great at this. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I learned from. You're keeping the research. format of the show alive today. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, that answer today is so easy for me. And I know I've answered this question before and it's been different, but today the answer is believe yourself, mm. believe yourself. You have an illness. Mm. You are sick. Mm. It is not all in your head. Mm. You're not making this up. You're not causing this with bad thoughts Mm -hmm. or bad behaviors. Mm -hmm. This is a dysfunction in your blood. Yeah. That is intrinsically part of you Mm. and has been a part of you your whole life. Yeah. And until you figure out what it is and name it and treat it, it's not going to get better. Mm. So believe yourself Mm. and keep fighting, keep pushing. Yeah. I've had so many doctors tell me that this was all all in my head. Yeah. So many doctors look at one test result that was normal and say, well, you're fine. Mm. I don't know why you're here. I don't know why you keep coming back. Mm -hmm. There's nothing else I can do for you. This isn't a real problem. Mm -hmm. I don't know why you can't just go live your life. That's been said to me. You were there for that one. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it was Um, really upsetting. And and that's not true. This Mm -hmm. is a real thing. We now know what it is. Mm -hmm. The proof is in the results of treating it and having it work. And having it be consistent and stick. Yeah. And the piece of me that listens to all those doctors and slowly started to doubt myself. Yeah. That that like broke a piece of me mm-hmm. that I can now start to heal. Mm. But that's not fair. Yeah. And that's the thing that is happening to so many people. Yeah. And that's part of why I love doing this show is... I get to be the person who listens to someone tell their story and say, I believe you. Yeah. Like that yeah. means a lot to me. Yeah. And I always believe everyone because I always do. Yeah. That's just part of I, having gone through this experience. You know, how could I not? Yeah. Yeah. When someone tells me what their major pain is, mm-hmm. I believe them yeah. because no one would believe me. Right. And I was right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's what I tell me at the beginning of this journey is believe yourself. Mm. Don't let those people poison you against yourself. Don't spend more nights than I can even count lying in the dark, trying to will this away because you assume that you caused it to yourself Mm. because doctors convinced you that you did (sighs) so many nights. And now I have to go through the process of learning how to let that go Mm. and believe myself again. Mm. And it really, you know, deeply negatively impacted a piece of my own mind-body connection. Yeah. And I have been on the defensive about it mm. for so long. And it's yeah. why I initially I hid it for years. Yeah. 
you know, and like starting this podcast was so uncomfortable to me because I had yeah. to be open about my own illness. Oh, yeah. And that was the beginning of believing myself. Yeah. Was was talking about it publicly, opening up about it, talking to other people about their ex- similar experiences and seeing that I wasn't alone because I felt so alone in it the whole time. Totally. So that's where I am now is like regaining this sense of self yeah. and centeredness yeah. and knowing to believe my body when it gives me the wrong information, you know, mm. when it when it is telling me you're in pain all the time and we can't figure out why. It's because I was being poisoned by chemicals constantly. <laughs> it, because my nerves were being like rubbed raw mm-hmm. by the process that was mistakenly happening in my own body. Yeah. And now I know that and I can put words to it. Mm-hmm. And that is so profound. Yeah. That's what I've wanted this whole time and I have it. Yeah. And it's like deeply intensely emotional. Mm. Believe yourself, you know, yeah. if, if you're going through this out there, and I hope that this is reaching you, mm-hmm. because I felt so alone in my journey. Mm-hmm. I felt so alone, feeling like I was the only person sick. Doctors wouldn't listen to me. Sometimes people in my own life would look at me like I was, you know, making it up, and mm. that hurts so bad. Yeah, I have so many relationships that sort of wilted and died because I didn't know how to talk to them about what I was going through, yeah. and I felt like they weren't willing to kind of try to bridge the, the divide. Yeah. And I felt like they abandoned me, even yeah. though I recognize now that I had a piece of that as well. Mm. Um, it's just impacted every aspect of my life. Yeah. And to be able to name it, like there's this like ancient power. In, <laughs> like in, you read fantasy books, they always talk about like, the, the ancient power of naming something. You know, like your true name, you don't give people your true name because it has magic power over you. Mm. Having a name to my illness gives me a magic power over it. Mm. to further integrate it into my life mm-hmm. and to really make it a part of myself yeah. in a healthy, positive way where I can learn how to live with it and, con- and control it. Mm. And that's been completely outside of my control. Mm. You know, the best I had for years was just taking cannabis products. Yeah. And, you know, that was sort of masking the pain, but also affecting my heart. And my heart rate was going higher and higher and I didn't know it. Yeah. So now I have methods of eliminating the cause of the pain and mm-hmm. it's working so much better my pain level is so much lower mm-hmm. because my body's not being flooded with these chemicals because of the medication yeah so i don't know i feel like i could go on and on about this but <laughs> it's so exciting it's we have so the name exciting. i have mast cell activation syndrome yeah this is the turning point in the podcast from yeah. now on out yeah when i talk about my disease it will no longer be in mysterious terms or hedged around i don't know if i have this or not now i have it Yep. We're moving forward. Yep. I have recorded some incredible episodes oh, yeah. coming up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just this week, I recorded two. Mm. One of them was an amazing episode about schizophrenia mm. with someone who's so open about it and uh, talked about some of the delusions that he had without knowing he had schizophrenia. Yeah. It's fascinating. And I, I recorded an episode about restless leg syndrome. Yeah that I couldn't believe how interesting it was. Like, I, I didn't know what to expect. And that's something I actually experience a bit of. Mm. But it was amazing. Mm. Fantastic episode. Make sure you tune in, tune in for that. Yeah. Uh, and then a couple of weeks ago, I recorded one about um, medical advocacy and this organization and like how you can get into patient advocacy and uh, a hotline you can call mm-hmm. if you are having an access issue. Just amazing stuff coming up on the show. So make sure you're subscribed. Oh, yeah. Come back for more Major Pain. Oh, yeah. Andy, thank you so much for, for being here. Yeah. 
Anytime. For, I live here, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, massively important episode to me, and I wouldn't want to do it without you. I feel the same way. And we're going to record more for our Patreons. Oh, yeah. Uh, Patreon subscribers. Oh, yeah. If you like this combo, me and Jesse, you know, you yeah. can get it every month. But yeah. the low, low price of $3 a month. Actually, the low, low price of anything uh, The you lowest get, one right? is $2 a month. $2 a month, yeah. you know? Which is like 50 cents a, a podcast. <laughs> but it, well, well, less than because you get bonus episodes. See? But if not, I'm sure I'll be back again. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to talk more about the Hawaii trip. Lots more to say. Yeah. Um. And we, we've done over 20 of those bonus episodes now. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So it's cool. a great time to subscribe because you got a lot of back content to listen to. And they're always so fun. Um, but, you know, it, when I sit down and try to talk about my story without you here, it's way harder. I don't know why. <laughs> but when you're here and I get to talk to you, it's so much easier. Yeah. Well, and you did an amazing job of, of hosting. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, well, and keeping know. us on format. So thank you so much. Got but, a great teacher. Um, thank you all for listening. This is a really... I, I'm so I'm thrilled that we just recorded my diagnosis episode. <laughs> I never knew if that was going to happen, and here it is. It's so only good. season three. That's pretty good. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. And I'm so grateful and to this community and yes, everything that has come out of this has just been incredible. So thank you, everyone, all listeners on any level. We're so grateful for your participation. Absolutely. And come on back next time. We've got more incredible stories coming up on the show. We'll see you then. See you then. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, Kelsey Madsen, All Around Foundation Waterproofing, Danielle Signorelli, Alexandria Henderson, Justin Minnick, Heather Muncy, and Robert, and our $25 per month producers Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash Pain podcast.